starting now. So, welcome back, and thank you for being here today. Uh, continuing the long discussion of Sutta Nipata, we're in the middle of Mahamangala, <clears throat> or Mangala Sutta. It's actually in a couple of places in the Pali Canon, meaning there are a few places where the same Sutta appears, and in other places it's called Mangala. Here in Sutta Nipata it's called Mahamangala. Maha means great. And Mangala, again, is blessings or protection or auspicious performance. Uh, the key, and again, this is one of the three major Parita Sutta or protective suttas in, Pali, um, in the Pali Canon, meaning early Buddhism. And therefore, it has a special place in Buddhism uh, among all the different suttas. It's in a particular class that only has a couple others, and we've read the other two, the Ratna Sutta and um, the other <laughs> that I forgot. Uh, the key here is that when, when the phrase is used, what's to my long-term welfare and benefit, um, Mangala is what's meant. Uh, what is to one's long-term welfare and benefit is um, synonymous with uh, mangala and what is considered therefore protective and auspicious and a blessing. And it's both the performance of activity or the quality of mind that does speech and action as well as circumstances in life that are supportive or um, could be called good fortune. Uh, the point is really that self makes fortune, and good fortune or blessing is fully deserved, karmically, just in the same way as misfortune or um, difficulty and challenge and hardship is also fully deserved. Not because a person is good or bad, but because a person or a soul in this life and past life has set the roots in place or the causes for those consequences. That's it. And so it's a very um, it's a very lawful understanding of um, personal experience and phenomenology, phenomenal, phenomenology or phenomena. Phenomena, whether they're called blessings or um, hardship, uh, they are protective or dangerous and harmful uh, are not because a person is good or bad or valuable or unvaluable as a soul, as an entity. It's simply the, the lawful result of prior causes in thought, word, and deed, in the current life and in past lives. And so what I think is critical in Mangala Sutta, or the way I want to approach it to the final hour here, this is the second class, is to go through again the translations from Narada Terra and uh, Tanisaro. And after that's been sort of hammered down in the sense of reading it and rereading it, or one and then the other translation, then go to uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's PDF, uh, which is um, a perfect summary or synopsis of the whole sutta, which I did last time which he calls the ground plan of the Mangala Sutta with its 38 blessings. And he goes through all 12 verses and titles them um, by his own understanding of their significance and then gives a little um, description of the elements of each of the verses, of the 12 verses. It's really, I mean, very, very well done. So, let me... Um, read Mahamangala Sutta from Narada Tara. And he called, he translated Mangala as blessings. <laughs> and again, the story here is that uh, the devas, <laughs> or various devas, uh, higher dimensional beings, were discussing among themselves in certain higher dimensions what indeed are Mangala? What is Mangala? It really means what's to my highest and, and best uh, good, or what's to my long-term welfare and benefit. Meaning, what's really good for a human being? What's good? Meaning, 
the experience, an experience that's good and a way of living or an attitude or behavior that is helpful in the long run. And that's what everybody wants, right? So everybody wants what's helpful. And so, <laughs> again, Buddhism is not really a religion. It's, it's a self-help metaphysics. It's a spiritual philosophy uh, that is extremely detailed and extremely uh, focused on the constituents of bringing benefit to oneself and other. And so it's deeply humanitarian, but it's obviously profoundly metaphysical um, and has no trouble, obviously, with an existence of, of metaphysical, non-physical realms of existence and their interplay. So, <laughs> it's just beyond most people. So, let me read Mahamangala Sutta from Narada Tara. Uh, also, if somebody can unmute, speak a word, and mute, I think we're going to get white noise today a lot. Hello. Hi, thank you. Today it's raining here in Taiwan, and uh, where I am and it seems to set up some background noise that just grows. So from the first link, or the first, it's actually the second link, uh, Nara, Narada Tara, who was a Sri Lankan monk, and um, may well have been around, I don't know the dates, but Bhikkhu Bodhi, interestingly, was, um, he got his training significantly in Sri Lanka, as did the guy that I learned uh, Buddhism or, or meditation originally from at Naropa, uh, not, not Naropa, in Oberlin in 1980, uh, a guy named Jay, who also was a monk in Sri Lanka before we went back to college. So, um, Narada Tara is an important person in um, the presentation of Buddhism to the West. So anyway, let me, uh, let me just jump in with this. Thus have I heard on one occasion, the Exalted One was dwelling at Anatta Pindika's monastery in Jetta's Grove, which is Jetavana, near Savati. Now, when the night was far spent, a certain deity, whose surpassing splendor illuminated the entire Jetta Grove, came to the presence of the Exalted One and, drawing near, respectfully saluted him and stood at one side. Standing thus, he addressed the Exalted One, Gautama, in verse... And this is what he said. Many deities and men yearning after good have pondered on Mangala blessings. Pray, tell me the greatest Mangala. Tell me Maha Mangala. What is really best and good? And Gautama replies, and this is where we get the, the heart of the Sutta. And this is, each of these are uh, covered in... Um, the Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, synopsis um, and each um, represents um, not just a particular blessing that is protective um, but a, a fundamental building block of spiritual path so the Buddha replied not to associate with the foolish but to associate with the wise and to honor those who are worthy of honor this is the greatest Mangala, to reside in a suitable locality, to have done meritorious actions in the past, and to set oneself in the right course, this is Mahamangala. To have much learning, to be skillful in handicraft, well trained in discipline, and to be of good speech, this is Mahamangala. To support mother and father, to cherish wife and children, and to be engaged in peaceful occupation. This is Mahamangala. To be generous in giving, to be righteous in conduct, to help one's relatives, and to be blameless in action. This is Mahamangala. To loathe more evil, meaning doing more evil, and abstain from it. To refrain from intoxicants, and to be steadfast in virtue. This is the greatest blessing. To be respectful, humble, contented, and grateful, and to listen to the Dhamma on due occasions, this is Mahamangala. To be patient and obedient, 
to associate with monks and to have religious discussions on due occasions, this is Mahamangala. Self-restraint, a holy and chaste life, the perception of the noble truth, four noble truths, and realization of Nibbana, this is Mahamangala. And then the last two, a mind unruffled by the vagaries of fortune, from sorrow freed, from defilements cleansed, from fear liberated, this is Mahamangala. Those who thus abide ever remain invincible, in happiness established. These are the Mahamangala, meaning this is, all of these are Mahamangala. And so, okay, um, Mangala as that which is conducive to happiness and prosperity, and the basis of a better future, <laughs> a better tomorrow, as the movie would say. An excellent movie from Hong Kong, John Woo, called A Better Tomorrow. A little violent, but, but very heartful. A Better Tomorrow um, comes by law, by cosmic law, metaphysical law, the law of causality, multidimensional, um, full-spectrum causality, uh, brings a better tomorrow when certain causes are established today. Causes in thought, word, and deed. In how a person's thinking, how we speak uh, or don't, and how we act, or um, response to decision, or decisions we make response to uh, a situation where we can go this way or that. The uh, experience of free will. And so... Uh, let me go to, and so the the point here is, um, this is this is the result of good karma, and these forms of mangala are the basis for further uh, benefit in the future. And they have they they are not specific to Buddhism, whatsoever. They're basically universal. They're they're aspects of universal morality, or universal aspects of human morality, or human conduct or human experience that are both um, experienced as a benefit and a support and um, in terms of behavior or uh, body speech mind today set in place a better tomorrow and that's a big deal <laughs> and so the root of discernment Gautama said is going to the wise and worthy to know what's in my long-term welfare and benefit uh, this this sutta uh, is a is a mm, distillation of what the wise and worthy would tell us uh, regarding what's to our long term welfare and benefit, and um, one really has to have one's life somewhat in order, one's mind somewhat well settled, one's sense of uh, current work and future development somewhat clear or fulfilling and um, uh, true uh, in integrity, of integrity to self and what we value and what's really well for us and those around us. One has to have that really done <laughs> to some degree before one can even read and appreciate this sutta. And that's, I mean, I took a break out of Buddhism for 20 years after deep plunge, uh, maybe, uh, uh, what, 16 to 26 or something, or 16 to 30, uh, because I think I was, you know, in the long phase of experience between innocence and higher innocence, as Blake would say. Uh, and that means uh, moving away from um, the discipline, like Ross said, the discipline of understanding or the discipline of seeking what for sure is to my long-term welfare and benefit, but seeking, seeking, you know, following, exploring desire, you can say, various types. And um, that's fine or necessary. As Ross said, all desires are proper or appropriate for the entity at the right time, and eventually they will fall away if one keeps seeking freedom or well-being and is honest with oneself that uh, actually, I'm in pain. <laughs> actually, this relationship's no good. 
Actually, I don't like where I live. Actually, my job doesn't fit me. Actually, I have regret and remorse. Actually, I'm not that well, you know. And mm, those around me don't seem to be too well either. Actually, I don't have anybody I can talk to deeply, or I'm afraid of talking deeply, or I'm afraid of some old pain, or I don't want to listen to music because I feel I don't want to cry, or I feel I, I'm too angry, or this and that, right? So, one, <laughs> one must be very um, willing to see one's distortions, to be able to anchor clearly on, on an upward path of continued self-development. It's a big deal. And yet, so while it's useful to explore desires, um, it's useful to know at least uh, intellectually and, and uh, reflect on these uh, elements of what really are to our long-term welfare benefit, what really are considered protective. And that's an important word, protective, against harm from the world and harm we're doing, we may do to ourselves. So let me read uh, Tanisaro's um, translation. <clears throat> this is actually from dhammatalks.org, which you can see linked from the second, the third link there. It's not exactly the same as the other translation on um, access to insight. Actually, I think, I guess I sent it. So here we go. Mahamangala Sutta, which he calls protection, uh, not blessings, although you can say blessings are protective. I have heard that at one time the Blessed One was staying near Savati in Jetta's grove, Anatta Pindika's mon monastery. Then a certain deva in the far extreme of the night, her, it's a female I guess, her extreme radiance lighting up the entirety of Jetta's grove, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, having bowed down to him, meaning bowing, she stood to one side. As she was standing there, she addressed him with a verse. Quote, Many devas and human beings give thought to Mangala, desiring well-being. Tell then Mahamangala, meaning, tell me what is Mahamangala? The Buddha replies, not consorting with fools, consorting with the wise. Paying homage to those worthy of homage. This is Mahamangala. And I'm not going to say every time this is Mahamangala, but <laughs> let's just get the sense that uh, each of these is. Living in a civilized land, having made merit in the past, directing oneself rightly. Broad knowledge, skill, well-mastered discipline, well-spoken words. Support for one's mother and father, assistance to one's wife and children, consistency in one's work. Generosity, living in rectitude, assistance to one's relatives, deeds that are blameless. Avoiding, abstaining from evil, so avoiding is not getting into, and abstaining means stopping what's been started. Refraining from intoxicants, being heedful of mental qualities. Respect, humility, contentment, gratitude, hearing the Dhamma on timely occasions, patience, composure, seeing contemplatives, discussing the Dhamma on timely occasions. Austerity, celibacy, this is for the monks. Austerity, celibacy, seeing the noble truths, realizing unbinding, unbinding as Nibbana. A mind that, when touched by the ways of the world, is unshaken, sorrowless, dustless, at rest. This is Mahamangala. When acting in this way, or those ways, everywhere undefeated, People go everywhere in well-being. This is their Mahamangala. And so, uh, let me uh, go straight to Bhikkhu Bodhi's PDF, which I sent there. Uh, now we have some white noise. Can somebody uh, speak a word?
Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, what we see with his um, PDF is the breakdown of the 12 major verses and uh, as I said, I, I went over this last time, but I just want to reinforce some particulars or look into some of the um, more noteworthy aspects, I think. Uh, number first two, orient, what he's calling orientation, cultivating conditions for discretion, which is actually um, discernment. Uh, and how important this really is. Uh, human beings are open systems. Um, the body, even the body with skin, is quite um, interpenetrating uh, of the environment or interpenetrated by the energetics, uh, the physical and non-physical dynamics of the environment, which includes the people around us. Ra said the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Likewise, and so the physical and the metaphysical means our experience associated with this human body, or normally called me in the body. Uh, this experience, <laughs> this presumed experience of me in the body, uh, is highly receptive and sensitive to um, all in the environment. And you, you can't go up if you're being pulled with one leg down. And one can't help oneself if one's chosen companions are har harming themselves. And it doesn't matter if they think they're helping themselves. What matters is the objective truth. As for, and who can say what's the objective truth? So you've got a lot of people who uh, a Buddhist or uh, from this perspective a lot of people would be considered foolish not to associate with the foolish versus associating with the wise uh, whether somebody considers him or herself foolish in the sense doesn't matter it matters whether they are or not or how we can assess them and the reality is we better assess well otherwise we're going to follow suit meaning um, birds of a feather flock together or um, those that are flocked together end up with the same feather. <laughs> those flocked together uh, smell feathery together. Their feathers will smell the same. And so if you hang out with people who are ultimately harming themselves, whether or not they know it, whether or not they think they are, whether or not they have good intentions, if indeed they're harming themselves, and, you know, <laughs> uh, generally they'll think they're not, um, if they are, uh, it's very likely that we'll end up harming ourselves as well. Likewise, if we're with those that have um, a real clear sense of what indeed is Maha Mangala or Mangala, what really helps. Mangala means what helps, and the opposite is what hurts, what harms. If, if the people around us have no idea what really objectively... The point here is there are objectives. The universe is not made by your mind. The uh, human mind is um, a microcosm of, of the law of one or creation, but, but <laughs> there, is a, there is a sequentiality or temporal sequence, and just because we think <laughs> the world is a certain way doesn't mean... It, it, it is. There actually is uh, objectivity beyond uh, persistent subjectivity. And so the reality is people around us are either helping themselves or hurting themselves daily and basically are helping themselves and harming themselves alternately, commonly. Not everyone, but commonly, uh, like a bell curve, right? At one end of the bell curve, we've got a small number of people who are profoundly hurting themselves. At another end of the bell curve, we've got some people who are profoundly helping themselves, which includes service to other, 
<laughs> right? So helping other is um, a very fine way of helping self within, you know, with certain, um, done in a certain way, <laughs> with balance, without uh, self-suppression or without harm to oneself, uh, unrecognized. But the middle of the bell curve is where most folks would be, which is some of what we do in body-mind, you know, body-mind-spirit or, or thought-word indeed, some of what we do is truly helpful and some of what we do is not. And that's that. <laughs> and if indeed we're associating with people at the, at the far left end of the, bar, the bell curve who are really harming themselves, we'll fall too. And so that's just the way it goes. Every and you know that's just common sense. And so um, <laughs> right off from the start, uh, before there can be any blessing in one's life, one has to know the difference between blessing and harm. Which means one needs to know as well um, those in our life or those around us who seem to be clear and um, well developed in virtue and understanding or at least somewhat, right? And those that are not, uh, that are particularly hurting themselves. And so if you take on the patterns of, we naturally take on patterns associated with those around us. And so if we're associating with those who are foolish, which really means those who um, are not sincerely seeking. I mean, the fool is the one who thinks that he's finished or is an expert or a master or freed of um, obstruction or something or other. And the wise um, know themselves well. And they know objectively. They, they're not... Um, their understanding is not clouded by emotion. Reason or clear knowing is not clouded by fear and hope. I fear this can I fear it is and therefore I hope it isn't and my opinions <laughs> support I mean this is, this is the distorted mind opinions support comfort or avoid fear and uh support hope rather than um seek to align my understanding with objective reality some people will say there's no objective reality um, I don't think that's the case. I just think objective reality is unnameable. <laughs> However, there is naming activity that's closer or more functionally, um, it, it's closer to the truth, which is unnameable and transconceptual. This is a whole other discussion of epistemology and uh, uh, the nature of mind and, and um, phenomena. It goes on and on and on. You can say that, obviously, in true non-duality, um, there's neither subjectivity nor objectivity. True. <laughs> so if you want to jump up to the top, I can go there too. But actually, there is um, illusory conceptual um, designation that is functionally more supportive to continued seven-ray development. And there is equally illusory conceptual um, designation or concept or idea that is obstructive to continued seven-ray development. That's called truth and illusion, or, or true and false. <laughs> true is a illusory, empty concept or set of ideas or view that supports seven-ray transformation. False is that which doesn't. <laughs> it's a strange way of putting it, but one could contemplate that. And so right off at the start, one must uh, have a bit of discernment. <laughs> and that is a challenge, because the wounded mind is the, discern is the basis of the one that's lear learning discernment. The wounded, confused, emotionally driven mind is the same one that has to heal itself. And so it's a very big deal uh, to discern good friends from harmful and good ways or supportive ways from uh, obstructive ways. 
So once that's done to some degree, and that's actually done continually throughout one's life, so the orientation of the basis being uh, who we're with, you know, which which feathered birds we're, we're with, well, birds of what feather we're flocking together. Uh, once that's determined to some degree, which is continually reviewed or should be continually reviewed throughout one's life, like, should I really be close to this person or not? Don't I see their character? Can't I accept the truth? It's bitter. Okay. I have a strong heart, or I want a strong heart. I can take ku cha, it's bitter, but it's good for me, and I want to accept. This person is a bad person, or they're harmful. It's a bad person. Or how about this person? It's God. It's the one infinite creator in heavy distortion, doing further activity of distortion, harming themselves. Okay, I can dig that. And um, one should be careful if one uh, maintains close association because it's very likely that we will acquire some of the same distorted beliefs and patterns. So, <laughs> once there's some sense of that, and that's the importance of community, uh, we have the further verses 3 and 4 talking about uh, preparation and foundations. He calls it inner and outer requisites for success in life. Uh, it's inner and outer um, requirements for a continually positively developing incarnation, continuing to learn, and we will review it all on the other side in the life review and see all the signs we missed and all the times we did right and wrong or harm and help, what we, where we helped and where we hurt, harmed, where we were clear and where we are confused. And the more developed we are here, the more uh, in-depth the life review will be on the other side. So like in No Solar, you see lots of those souls who are probably all 3D repeaters, um, lots of them were not allowed to see much in their past lives because their sense of self was so thick that they get stuck in self-blame, self-hatred if they would but see that in some past lives they did some real heavy harm. They can't handle it. Their sense of self is too contracted to include, I did heavy harm in some past lives, which is the case for some wanderers. Uh, and it seems to be the case for a bunch of humans, or 3D natives here. And there is a big difference <laughs> to say, uh, he's wise and worthy, and that person's kind of foolish, is not unloving. <laughs> this is a real goofy, new agey uh, aversion to discernment or discrimination. Discrimination of quality, not discrimination against. It's discrimination of quality. And uh, <clears throat> the reality seems to be that there are <laughs> some people who really could be called 3D repeaters who really indeed have some very bad karma, or perhaps all of them to some degree. And that's um, very uh, influential to us. So these um, foundational blessings, uh, which again I looked at last time and said uh, they can give, we can get some sense of our past life activity by the degree to which we have these mangala given uh, as pre-programmed catalyst, or uh, uh, to the degree to which our pre-programmed catalyst, like the body we're in, and the parents we have, and the family system or siblings, and opportunities are not uh, whether we have the, the proportion of mangala, how blessed one is in the situation into which they were born. So, but certainly dwelling place, um, past life merits, uh, and setting oneself in the right course, also called right resolution, um, in verse 3 in the PDF, uh, are crucial foundational uh, experiences or phenomena. Uh, and it's really, I mean, this is all, Buddhism is is a Vishuddhi Maga. <laughs> it is a wisdom or fifth ray, blue ray path. It's certainly leading with wisdom over love. It doesn't exclude love at all, but it's not a emotional, sentimental love. 
It's a detached love, which is different than most people's understanding in the New Age today, of course. But one, but <laughs> uh, discernment is leading the show here, and that's again why Buddhism is not much in favor. There are not many people who want to um, uh, train mind in uh, to conform to objective uh, reality, but they'd rather conform their assessment of reality to their own emotional disposition. So, fine. <laughs> Go round and round. Uh, but there are some people who come in with more more merit than others, and um, you know, born with a silver spoon. Uh, some of those are negatively oriented, and some of them are not. So, and then verse four, other preparations, and this is um, you can also I also see how far the modern society has strayed, or Western society, or American society has strayed. From some of these essentials, which you know were not necessarily um, understood widely 2,500 years ago by everyone in India either, or the last 2,000 years in India or Buddhist countries have not certainly been in alignment with with these blessings and um, this kind of ethical perspective. Uh, but uh, we can see. Uh, their points, a well-rounded education that leads to learning something that one can make a living in. Uh, and then a code of discipline one's been well-trained in, is point number nine. Uh, and then right speech. But this code of discipline one's been well-trained in. Uh, again, uh, I think individualism is, is uh, great. Meanwhile, uh, there's individualism that that allows a lot of people to crash and burn, and there is uh, guidance without compulsion. Uh, people generally associate this sort of code of discipline one's been well trained in. Sounds like compulsion. Sounds like control. Sounds like domination. Sounds like loss of freedom. Uh, and this this is sort of a um, long, long discussion, but um, in many ways the distinction between the wise and the successful versus the foolish and and when we crash and burn or those that persistently crash and burn um, is the degree to which the individual has aligned the subjective with an objective, has uh, develop themselves, which is a kind of self-training, obviously, uh, in line with that which uh, with that which is greater than the individual. And some people would call that God, or the plan, or the path. Um, it's that which transforms seven chakras, that which does body-mind-spirit evolution. Right? The purpose of incarnation is evolution of mind-body-spirit, body-mind-spirit. purpose of evolution or the purpose of incarnation is evolution. So the purpose of being here is evolution of what we are, which is seven-ray development. Some activity does help that, and some activity does not. It's extremely subtle. What activity for one is developmental is not for another. What activity is developmental for me today may not be tomorrow. What activity is developmental uh, for an hour is not after two hours. <laughs> Very subtle. One activity that's developmental in one way may be harmful or obstructive in another. One uh, can evolve one portion of the seven rise system or portions of mind while simultaneously further distorting others. That may be necessary. <laughs> it may be necessary to uh, cut off your leg to get out of the trap. Yeah. It may be necessary to have multiple lifetimes of lesser harm uh, to work off a past life of great, enormous harm, meaning karmic load. It's very subtle, <laughs> these things. And so all of that would seem to be known, would seem to need to be known. All that would seem to me to be needed to be known 
to make peace or to, to understand what the hell's going on in this life around us. We're just trying to understand what's going on around us. Why do people have the, the support or challenges they have? I don't know, actually. I'm trying to figure it out, too. Um, but the degree to which one uh, conforms oneself without being heavy-handed necessarily, uh, but trains and disciplines and uh, develops and adjusts and adapts oneself to that which is greater than my conscious mind um, is very important. And one can go off on a path that leads, you know, the, the path, the road to hell that may be paved with good intention is possible. So one can have good intention and be acting in ways that lead one to rebirth and hell. Absolutely. Uh, one may have confused intention and be on a very positive path and not know it. Ho, ho. So there are all sorts of um, um, options and all sorts of possibilities. Uh, but I would say that the, the, degree, the degree to which we align our mind, you know, our, our thought, word, and deed with the principles of soul evolution, that which truly is greater than the conscious mind and uh, of the Logos, the degree to which we align with that is the degree to which we become wise and well and experience Mangala, Mahamangala, and continue along with um, steady soul evolution. And there is a surrendering of individual willfulness to something greater that includes freedom and benevolence, but it is greater and it does require uh, adjustment. Uh, and that's a big deal. And um, those that think they are the boss of, of creation, or that they can write the that they write the rules of existence for themselves, are wrong. They're just it's just not that way. So verse five gets into family responsibilities. Verse six and seven and eight nine show us a long listing of virtues. And where are we? 20 minutes. Um, again, Buddhism is um, profoundly rooted in morality, moralism, moral uh, conduct, or the moral perspective, <laughs> a moral, ethical perspective. How we do or do not do harm. What does harm? What does not do harm? And so, uh, verses 6, 7, 8 show us all these virtues, all the ways of integrity, all that which is ethical and ultimately, therefore, brings blessing and good karma, which this is the basis of merit. You know, what is having done meritorious activity in past lives? It means <laughs> um, being able to, having, having um, some basis in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, having a basis in these 15, 16 points, these uh, 16 from 14 through 30 on uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's PDF, uh, having familiarity and uh, practicing and having a basis in, in past lives or this life, these 15, 16 particular forms of Mangala generosity dutiful, it's got to be wise generosity of course dutiful conduct, which really means I think loyalty <laughs> I mean, dutiful you know, for, for understanding what our obligations are, we have some um, but they're not all what we think they are, we may have more obligations than we're willing to take but we also have um, the, the belief that some uh, obligate we, we have a belief regarding some obligations which in fact are not truly our obligations like um, if I'm if somebody comes to me for help I'm not obligated for their healing I'm obligated to do my best to help that's it and I can do my best to help and they can not get helped or you know not not get healed 
not get healing, not get transformation. Is it because of me? Is it because of them? Well, both. But uh, one can do one's best and um, improvement doesn't happen. And that's okay, in a sense, because um, you can't do more than just doing your best. And so that means do your danda or do your dharma or recognize what's responsibility. And that's a very heavy matter, obviously. Um, this is why he took six hours <laughs> to talk about the sutta, because uh, each one of these can be expanded regarding you know, the philosophy of duty and obligation. That's a pretty deep subject. Uh, helping friends and relatives and blameless actions. And uh, again, there's that point <clears throat> that um, a primary basis or purpose for shila or harmlessness or ethics or virtue or morality is to prevent regret, is to prevent um, the formation of, of self-blaming, regret, remorse, which stays in the mind over multiple incarnations. Karmic guilt is well alive and well, and most most everyone with um, psychopathology or self-image distortion, most everyone with self-image, self-worth distortion, um, has some karmic guilt, regret, remorse, uh, self-blame from unvirtuous activity or decisions in past lives. And um, <laughs> that reminds me of something that came to me recently. Uh, I'm going to get to this at the end. It's the linkage between um, morality and mental health. And it deserves uh, books. <laughs> though I don't think I'm going to be the one writing. I might inspire some later. But uh, <laughs> uh, not only is virtuous activity the basis of merit, which is the basis of mangala, which is the basis of not needing pre-programmed catalyst that's traumatic and painful. Pre-programmed traumatic catalyst, pre-programmed harmful painful catalyst like choosing programming for parents or planning and being born into a parent, a family where mother and father are self-harming and abusive or brothers and sisters are harmful and abusive or dysfunctional and self-harmful self-harming. Not needing that. Now there's needing that and there's choosing that. There's choice because of karmic necessity. There's choice because of a spiritual free decision when it's not karmically required. So, this is another story. <laughs> All these stories are related. And uh, uh, the short is um, virtue, shila, uh, ethical activity, harmlessness. And these qualities, right? Ceasing from evil, abstaining from evil, uh, particularly helping others, doing blameless action, right? And and all the various virtuous qualities of verses 8 and 9. Reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude, patience, amenable to advice. Uh, that supports uh, merit. That's what makes merit. Good karma is merit. It's made my activity of green, blue, indigo. Activation of green, blue, indigo in relation to self and other. That's all. Very simple. <laughs> Qualities of love, wisdom. Harmlessness or acceptance and care and comfort. Patience. Um, being willing to do one's duty, obligation. Clarity. Honesty. Timeliness. Non-harsh non-malicious speech, dot, dot, dot. That is <laughs> the basis of coming into this life with merit and therefore not needing traumatic, not needing the programming of traumatic catalyst, not needing harsh, painful karmic return. Uh, that immoral or, or the immoral basis, the, the basis of 
unethical, <laughs> harmful, immoral behavior uh, is the basis of all mental health issue and all psychopathology. And uh, I guess I can't avoid it. So somebody can uh, speak a word. Hello. Okay. Thank you. Um, it was thinking about Mahamangala Sutta, and this is where I think I will go, and then we'll do a, a conclusion to the Sutta. Uh, thinking about Mahamangala Sutta, um, a few strange ideas came to me, particularly this idea that. Um, uh, imprinted pain of childhood coming from what? Um, Non-loving parents and siblings, um, various forms of environmental stress or trauma, living in a war zone. Uh, uh, This is the basis, these are bases of psychopathology, meaning people get hurt emotionally, when there's any kind of violation physically, mentally, emotionally, when needs are neglected, just as just as Arthur Janov said, in terms of the primal therapy perspective, pain is imprinted by violation and unmet needs of various sorts, to some degree, depending on the person, depending on circumstance, in childhood. And that becomes the basis of distorted self-image or low self-worth, which is generally the basis for any manifestation of superiority complex and aggression as well. Generally, uh, the weak, my, a, a sense of weakness is covered or compensated by um, an aggressive or critical-minded or harsh persona. But actually, the basis of the psychopathology before the very real emotional wounding of childhood in family systems, the basis of that psychopathology or the wounding of the, or the birth into the family system like that, the basis of taking birth into emotionally and truly wounding, harmful family systems, is the karmic need to have that. And that's ultimately... Um, according to this view, which some people will say is blame the victim, and uh, other people will say that those who say you're blaming the victim are uh, avoidant and irresponsible people and limited-minded materialists who um, actually don't understand what they are. Um, So there are lots of opinions here. But it seems to me, actually the basis of the very real wounding that we have in family systems, birth families, that were programmed or chosen one way or another before birth, the basis is actually um, lack of virtue, lack of merit, and having done harmful action to self and others in past lives. And so, what I wrote here, just follow along if you like, Western psychology as a limited hangout gatekeeper versus a priori ontological moral basis of all psychopathology. As an Orion, Intel agencies, Illuminati, etc., means of demoralization, which equals devolutionary depolarization uh, via derationalization, demoralization, cognitive disorientation, and fear. The means are self-propagating in the individual and collective, the target population, which is all, auto-reproduce psychopathology. This is a re-anchoring of conditioning to self-programming, further self-harming, while in reality, so-called immorality or harmful, you know, I mean, immorality is not a religious affair. It's a matter of what proceeds without love wisdom. 
in reality, quote, immorality in thought, word, and deed blocks the lower triad, establishes uh, three poisons, karmic streams, right? Grasping aversion, ignorance. Ripened as pain imprinting in childhood family system. Thus establishing mental emotional wounding as a source of psychopathology. Then, developmentally, in many cases, learned pain avoidance proliferates into defense mechanisms and all mental health issues ensue or follow as moral basis is fully shrouded. So the moral basis of psychopathology is avoided by Western psychology. (laughs) The moral basis, the karmic root moral merit no merit basis of the pre-programmed of pre-programming of dysfunctional wounding harmful family systems incarnation the pre-programming of birth into um, dysfunctional family systems in which harm and abuse trauma or unlove is experienced the basis of that is moral generally meaning the souls that need that because it's a reflection of their own you know parents and family system as a reflection of um, aspects of uh, tendon you know ten aspects of mind self mind or tendencies that the individual manifest to some degree in past lives um, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, as reflections of aspects of me, of course. And so, um, Western psychology, <laughs> which is surely materialistic, obviously, and godless, you know, there's godless psychology, godless communism, there's godless capitalism. <laughs> you think capitalism includes God or morality? So there's godless communism, there's godless capitalism. There's godless psychology. There's godless religion. Mm. In some cases. And um, God is not God anyway, meaning it ain't a guy. It's a unitary source um, intention whose nature is infinite power and love or benevolence. Therefore, its intention is benevolent or love-based uh, as Ross said, the original desires and all entities seek and become one. That's benevolent, I think. And um, that's God. That's the Logos. That's um, Satchananda, or Parabrahman. Um, and when one gets to Nirvana, one knows it. <laughs> but uh, I'm not there yet, so I have some ways to go. So anyway, I wanted to put that out there, that uh, Western psychology is very useful to uh, untangle the knot, K-N-O-T, of mental-emotional conflict and uh, distress and pain, uh, considering its uh, historical roots or causal basis, uh, untangling my process, individual process, and knowing the nature of conflicts we go through or desires we uh, have suppressed or feelings and thoughts and beliefs and patterns that we're not aware of bringing light to the unconscious or making the subconscious conscious making the unconscious conscious that's great and then what's further back really though is the moral basis of the programmed catalyst that triggers or causes psychopathology. The social, the the relational, the relational influences that generate or associate to or are triggers to psychopathology. Um, the basis for that those forms of catalyst, those people with their pathology or dysfunction or harmful mind and behavior, the basis for them being in our life is uh, associated with uh, karmic balancing or karmic stream and really the degree to which we have merit 
versus harmful karma or karmic load versus merit based in past life activity. And so the ontological moral basis of psycho- uh, psychopathology <laughs> is the fact that um, what leads what leads us to psychopathology as a relationship influences, particularly a family, is based in um, how we lived in past lives regarding morality versus harm. And uh, that's a pretty heavy matter. And so the real mangala is to um, know truth and live in harmony with truth and to in truth, um, conform mind, body, spirit, or thought, word, and deed to that which is helpful to self and other, to that which is supportive. And somebody can uh, speak a word? Hi. Hi. Okay. It's a lot of white noise. I think it's because it's rainy background, so the rainy in the environment today. Anyway, um, the final points I would just put out are associated with some of the um, final verses and how important those certain qualities are. Um, particularly verse 11, what Bikubodi is calling fulfillment, and 35 through 38. Uh, a mind unshaken by changing worldly conditions. Uh, worldly conditions don't have to trigger, don't necessarily trigger the mind, don't necessarily trigger the mind um, to distorted response. We're responsible for our responses. <laughs> and um, it, it's not your it's not you that made me this way it's my reaction to you as you are or as you're coming to me that makes my experience so I fashion my experience as my response to the catalyst or what you bring me so um, the changing worldly conditions of course are the eight worldly winds but um, they're really quite simplistic (laughs) because today you have all sorts of much more subtle, uh, harmful winds in in interpersonal relationship. Somebody is projecting their pathology on me. Somebody is blaming me um, for something that I that I didn't do, or presuming something, or making assumptions that they're not even aware of, or they have all these presumptions or beliefs about themselves that they're unaware of. Um, and they're trying, they, they don't even know they're possessed by a demon or they're caught by in pathology. And I've got to, and, and that, to the extent that I don't know what's going on, that will be a trigger for my emotional charge or my confused response. So a mind unshaken by the neurosis and pathology of the people around me as I seek to get beyond my own pathology, psychopathology. That's a pretty heavy matter. <laughs> to be to become increasingly untriggerable by the psychopathology and distortions of humanity and the people around me. That's a great achievement. Then, a mind that is sorrowless, and the other terms are passionless, dust-free, and secure. And as I said last time, um, a mind that is sorrowless is pretty amazing but a mind that is secure there's no it's not accidental that that's 38 or the final mangala a mind that is secure the word is kimam and um, it's worth a lecture by in and of itself just the translation of the word kimam maybe I'll look into that next time but um deep emotional, spiritual security, um, it's possible, even even in a disharmonious environment or with disharmonious people around us, it is possible uh, 
to develop that security. In any case, <laughs> um, the discussion goes on and on. And that'll be all I think that I want to say about Mangala Sutta. Uh, I think it's very heavy, very important, and in many ways um, it's a distillation of, of the whole of, of the moral of, of Buddhist moral philosophy. <clears throat> it's very much associated with morality and the path, uh, and it really encapsulates the heart of what uh, of Buddhist moral guidance, which is just moral guidance, <laughs> what Gautama called considered essential um, fundaments of morality and ethics uh, that support us in this life and in the future. And so, morality as the basis of success and happiness. How about that? Anyway, um, without further ado, thank you for being here. I hope it was helpful. I wish you well. Take care, and good night.